Hi everyone and welcome to Oscar Wilde After Dark, a bonus series where we discuss the wilder side of Oscar nominees and winners. I'm Sophia Simonello. And I'm Nick Rocrow. And today we are continuing our discussion of 1993. So on our main show we talked about Steven Spielberg's 93 with Jurassic Park and Schindler's List, which were both big Oscar movies, major box office hits, and today we're going to be talking about some fun Oscar nominees and winners, mainly Adam's Family Values, which was nominated for Art Direction Set Decoration, and Mrs. Doubtfire, which won Best Makeup. Yeah, I like that we chose these movies, one, that they're both Oscar movies that I don't necessarily associate with the Oscars. I'm glad they got nominated. But two, also that they're fun throwbacks that take us back to 93. I mean, I wasn't watching movies coherently when I was two years old. But when I think back to the 90s, these are definitely staples. Adam's Family Values, this is the sequel. But we'll mention a few other fun movies from the 90s that both got nominated and we just like to rewatch. Yeah, it's fun, I think, to go back and talk about movies that we were actually watching at the time in 93, (laughs) like you said. So some other fun Oscar nominations that we have, The Nightmare Before Christmas. This is before the animated feature category. It was nominated for visual effects. I would have also given this like a screenplay nomination. Um, The score by Danny Elfman is amazing, and I still listen to it every fall. Like whenever the weather starts changing, it's Mm -hmm. time to listen to Nightmare Before Christmas. And it has a few song choices that the next movie that got nominated was Beethoven's Second, which is that movie about the St. Bernards, which is just wild (laughs) that the sequel of this got nominated for something. But if that's getting nominated for original song, get Nightmare Before Christmas in there because those songs are just on repeat come Halloween and Christmas time. I love them Mm -hmm. so much. So much. And then next we have Sleepless in Seattle. Speaking of original song, this was nominated for A Wink and a Smile. But I think it's known most notably for being one of Nora Ephron's Oscar nominations. So she was nominated for original screenplay here and I remember that when we were at Oscar trivia this past year there was a question where we had to list all of her Oscar nominations nominations. do you remember that (laughs) I think I came up with this one god Mm -hmm. I, I don't think I could list them all right now well it feels right that you got this one. We both remembered when Harry met Sally and I came through with Silkwood. That just feels right <laughs> for us. <laughs> that sure does. Just like the next nomination from the year. Again, there are a lot of nominations, but shortcuts. One that is perpetually on my watch list, but a nomination for Robert Altman for Best Director, which I think is huge. I love that movie. I love the nomination for him. Should have been in the best picture five for sure. But yeah, I one of these days you need to watch shortcuts. I think you might like it because you like Magnolia. And it has some similarities, I think, to Magnolia. Mm-hmm. PTA was trying to make his shortcuts, I think, with Magnolia. So okay. there's hope still. Some other fun throwbacks from the year that weren't nominated and ones that we grew up with are The Sandlot, Cool Runnings, A Bronx Tale, which I still need to see, but has been recommended to me multiple times. 
True Romance, and then Groundhog Day, Days and Confused, The Joy Luck Club, Homeward Bound, The Incredible Journey. I have that on VHS, that like styrofoamy mm-hmm. VHS. <laughs> I think just this whole collection takes us back to a very different time. Oh, absolutely. Homeward Bound, The Incredible Journey. That was a, <laughs> a library movie for us growing up. Any movie that had a golden retriever because we had oh, a golden retriever. Yeah. It was like we had to get it <laughs> from the library or from Blockbuster. And I mean, The Sandlot, also a classic, like you mentioned. That was one that was definitely on all the time growing up. And, you know, Dazed and Confused, I think Matthew McConaughey deserved a Best Supporting Actor nomination for his performance in the movie. I will say that. Something else I have yet to see, but we have a new link later coming this fall, Hitman. So maybe I'll do a little retro. I'm trying to do retros of Mm -hmm. multiple directors with new movies. And I just watched Manhunter last night and just absolutely loved it. Stunning work. Oh my God. Exciting. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's great news. Yeah, I think you you should watch Dazed and Confused for sure. I would love Mm -hmm. to cover that one in some way, shape or form. Oh, it's hard to pick a favorite link later, but it's up there for sure. Okay, well, let's get started with Adam's Family Values. The description here, again, this is the sequel to The Adam's Family from 1991. The description here, the members of the odd Adam's Family are up to more macabre antics in this sequel. This time around, Gomez Adams and his wife, Morticia, are celebrating the arrival of a baby boy. But siblings Wednesday and Pugsley are none too happy about the new addition and try their best to eliminate the infant. When nanny Debbie Jelinski appears to keep the kids in line, her presence leads to an unexpected treacherous twist. This was directed by Barry Sonnenfeld. It stars Angelica Houston, Raul Julia, Christopher Lloyd, Joan Cusack, Christina Ritchie, and more. So for awards, you mentioned that it was nominated for Art Direction Set Decoration, which lost to Schindler's List that year. Again, go listen to our pod on Schindler and Jurassic Park, because we do a very deep dive on those two and more about the Oscars from that year. But then Angelica Houston was nominated for Best Actress in a Comedy Musical at the Golden Globes. And it won a Razzie for Worst Original Song. I didn't even know this movie had original music in it, but it's for the song Adam's Family, Womp. (laughs) And then we have some Oscar connections for both Adam's Family Values and Mrs. Doubtfire. We have a deep bench. Both of these movies have a lot of Oscar nominees on the team. So we have Angelica Houston, who won the Best Supporting Actress Oscar for Pritzi's Honor. We have Joan Cusack, who was nominated for Supporting Actress for Working Girl and in and out Carol Kane was nominated for Best Actress for Hester Street. Mark Shaman, who did the score, has been nominated for seven Oscars. Four of those are for score and three are for original song. Donald Peterman, who's the DP, was nominated for two Oscars for cinematography for Flashdance and Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home. Jim Miller, the editor, was nominated for Best Editing for Collateral. Arthur Schmidt, the co-editor, has won two Oscars for editing for Who Framed Roger Rabbit and Forrest Gump. Ken Adams, the production designer, won two Oscars for Barry Lyndon and The Madness of King George. 
I love when we have Barry Lyndon collaborators <laughs> on our After Dark movies. <laughs> Marvin March, the set decorator, has been nominated for five Oscars, including California Suite and The Turning Point. Um, Theoni V. Aldridge, the costume designer, won an Oscar for The Great Gatsby from 1975. And Kevin Haney on the makeup team won an Oscar for Driving Miss Daisy. So was this movie kind of in your rotation as a kid? Had you revisited it in a while? What is your relationship to Adam's Family Values? I know I had seen them both when I grew up, but I haven't revisited them. And only on like social media with the Thanksgiving scene have I ever really seen it come back up. I watched the original... I think last year, and then I watched this again for our discussion, and the sequel is highly superior to the original. Mm -hmm. And it's weird because it was the same director, same actors, obviously, but I think also the addition of Joan Cusack is just sublime. I love her, and it takes the comedy to an extreme, and it evolves the story to where you aren't making the same gags or you don't really get bored. And maybe that's why I didn't love the first one. But overall, I think it's a fun movie. It has so many rogue appearances that today just make mm-hmm. you laugh. And some of that doesn't age well. But I think it's fun to see like Harriet Sansom Harris and Christine Baranski together. So did you watch this a lot growing up? What's your relationship with this one versus the original. Well, growing up, I was obsessed with Morticia Adams. Like, I really, really wanted to be like Morticia. I can see that. <laughs> <laughs> so I really loved her, um, specifically in this, but also in, like, the older TV show. Mm-hmm. This also extended to Lily Munster and the Munsters. Monsters. I yeah. don't I don't know what was going on with me, but I really did just want to be a Halloween character of sorts <laughs> with... Long dark hair, which isn't that far away from who I became, I suppose. But yeah, I hadn't watched this in a while, but I remembered really liking it. And it was mostly because of Joan Cusack. I feel like she's so perfect in this movie as Debbie. She gives an incredible comedic performance. And I think that what takes the movie a step above maybe like your traditional like family comedy or something else that would have come out at the time is that you have even in those supporting roles, like Christine Baranski as a camp counselor, they're cranking it up to an 11. Like every single person in this movie is delivering. Mm. And I I think they're all just really fun to watch. I also think Christina Ritchie is fabulous as Wednesday. The deadpan sense of humor, not even cracking a smile. Her comedic timing is perfect. And when we get to our section, when we go through quotes, a lot of my favorite quotes are from her because so much of the humor, like I said, just lies in how she pauses or how she observes these kids at the camp. When the Adams family arrives at this camp and you have all of these blonde children wearing all white and they're just like ready for camp. And then you have these like gray, sullen kids. Like, why are we here? It's just such a fun contrast right away. And that always works in a comedy. And I think it especially does here. It does feel very of the time. Like it feels very early 90s. But I think that just really adds to its charm. And I agree with you. It's much better than the first one. I highly prefer the sequel. 
So let's get into some questions and we can talk more about scenes and characters, but what do you think is the most dated thing about this movie? So the thing that jumps out to me really is the thing that gave it the Oscar. It's the production design and the the art direction, the set decoration. It looks like what you think of when you think of that kind of early 90s design. So yes, the Adams house for sure. The idea that you interpreted gothic architecture and design in the 90s, that is very much there. But more so, I think, in the costumes and the mansion that Debbie and Fester are in. Like, to me, the styling is just so of the time. Mm -hmm. And I love that because you are, you're visiting a movie that's very much of a particular moment in history. But yeah, the, the home decor, it's rough. I really, I have trouble with that, like, late 80s, early 90s furnishing and decor. Mm. It kind of reminds me of Beetlejuice. Yes. Good comparison. Yeah. But even thinking of, like, Wednesday, the new Netflix TV show, and thinking about differences in that way, it brings in those dark, noir-ish elements. But yeah, I mean, everything from the hairstyles to... The house that's lengthened, almost like the Disney Haunted Mansion ride. Like, it's very much a caricature of itself, which, again, is the world that they want to put us in, that these characters and actors are living in. So I think it works. There are a few different pop culture references, too, that are dated. The main one is when Joel and Wednesday are in the Harmony Hut and... They have to like watch all these Disney movies, but they cut to a poster of Michael Jackson and they all scream, which, yeah, very much of its time. Next, we have the Excuse Me What Award for campiest line or line reading. I have quite a few good ones here that I just really love. Yeah, there's so many good quotes. There's one when Wednesday and Amanda are talking to each other, this just total snob of a person, and she goes, I'll be the victim. And Wednesday goes, all your life, which is so so good. good. (laughs) But then Amanda retorts. She goes, I'm going to be an actress. (sighs) Imagining seeing Wednesday dealing with that girl, I really feel for her. Mm -hmm. She's awful. Yeah. Well, in a way that I am like Morticia, or I have become like Morticia, I love, love when she says to Debbie, you have gone too far. You've married Fester. You've destroyed his spirit. You've taken him from us. All that I could forgive. But Debbie, pastels. (laughs) (laughs) There's another one. I think it's Amanda and Wednesday again. And Amanda's Mm -hmm. like, is that your bathing suit? And Wednesday goes, is that your overbite? (laughs) (laughs) When I heard that one, I knew you would like that because it's about teeth. Well, we have two good teeth jokes in in both of these movies. Yes. There is a really, a really good teeth one in Doubtfire for Mm -hmm. sure. I also love when, speaking of Amanda and Wednesday, Mm -hmm. when when Amanda asks her why she's dressed like she's going to a funeral. And she's like, why are you dressed like somebody died? And Wednesday just goes, wait. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it's coming. Be prepared. And there's another great guest appearance by... Cynthia Nixon, and this hits more now, I think, because of her run for New York governor. But at one point she goes, I know we're all concerned about the environment. (laughs) She has such a short role. Again, a lot of these people 
even if they only show up for a tiny bit. We had Tony Shalhoub, Carol Kane, Nathan Lane, David Crumholtz, Dana Ivey, just like really iconic comedy faces that I think when you're watching, you're just like, how do they get all of these people? Because since then, mm-hmm. they've been known for other bigger works, for sure. Yeah, and Cynthia Nixon, I have to say, even though she has a small role, it is better than her role as Miranda on season two of In Just Like That, <laughs> where they completely ruined her character. Oh, no. Oh, there are so many good quotes, though. Like Also, just from Debbie... When we hear her Wizard of Oz reference, when she says, I'll get you in your little hand to to, um, fester and thing. Well, I like when the hand jumps up on her shoulder and she goes, I'm good with my hands, too, in the very beginning. (laughs) The comedy is just, it's so silly. Even the moments that are a bit more adult, like that kind of go over Mm -hmm. your head as a kid. I like when movies have moments like that for both so you can still enjoy it later on in a different way right and even like this one like when i was a kid you don't know who these names are referencing but after they have the baby they say we went through all the usual baby names lucifer benito mao and then we came to our senses something the child could live with pubert just the most (laughs) god-awful name but also like dictators that yeah when you're eight or nine you don't know what they mean. So next up, we have the What is Happening Award for Confusing or Out There Scene. I mean, I don't really think there are that many confusing scenes. I just have scenes that I really like that are a little bit out there. I think the biggest one really is the Thanksgiving play. I mean, I have questions about why they're doing a Thanksgiving play and like what time of year they're going to camp because mm-hmm. that's kind of odd to go to like a fall camp. Or to do a Thanksgiving play in the summer. But anyway, I think it works. It's out of control. And they definitely wouldn't be allowed to get away with it in the same way today, I think. Mm -hmm. Just with the costumes and everything. But when they all just start going wild and they're turning the camp counselors over a fire pit. Like they're hogs on a spit or something. And they're setting fire to everything. And you're like, wait a second. It kind of reminded me of In Bottoms. Oh my god. (laughs) When... They just start going to town on the football team. And you're like, what is going to happen? It's amazing. Oh, it's so good. I think it's crazier to imagine that these kids came up with this concept of the indigenous and how they were actually treated because we're not taught that in school. But Wednesday knew. Right. But being older, I think it plays even better. And yeah, it just gets funnier with time realizing that she was right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's just like she's always been more precocious and had a darker sense of humor and a darker understanding of the world than mm-hmm. any of her peers. So, yeah, I like that she she takes it there. Another scene, though, that is just very out there to me, it, for me, is just when Fester is, like, making this dinner and, she's, and Debbie is giving him the birthday present, which is the bomb. Mm-hmm. And you're trying to figure out, like, okay, when is this bomb going to go off? And then he escapes the house anyway. Like, he isn't caught in the fire of <laughs> everything. So a lot of the violence in the movie, I think, is... It's funny how it's staged. It doesn't always make sense. There's another scene at the end that I think is similar in this way. Well, she keeps trying to kill him, and he doesn't die. The Adams family members don't die. And... 
that's kind of what sets her over the edge in the end, which again is Joan playing this in the right way. Mm-hmm. There's another moment. It's a scene. It's a line. But it's when they're at the camp. It's at night and they realize Wednesday isn't having a good time and they're trying to turn her and they go what might turn their sorry and wasted little lives around and they all start singing kumbaya which is just like the worst thing in the world but it is so funny well that's also like the when wednesday says she's like they made us sing (laughs) to morticia her reaction in that moment she it's so good of christina but she like clutches the fence behind her and is so visibly scared it's just a it's like almost a little tick that just shows how great christina was at this age she really is such a great actress her role in yellow jackets is actually like the perfect like aged up version Mm -hmm. of wednesday i think in a way i mean the scene in the end when pubert ends up saving them yeah when they're all like (laughs) strapped in and Debbie's ready to kill the entire family, but Mm -hmm. the baby saves them. The choreography of the scene makes little sense to me, but that's okay. (laughs) I don't think it totally has to. Well, it takes it back to the opening title sequence when the hand is riding the rollerblade around the house. And this like also very dated 90s camera work where it's showing you the setting of the house, reminding you of what it's like. But like where the cannonball comes from and how all of this is like one of those like mouse traps that people would build in school but also the game mm-hmm. it was just like really yes. bizarre that is a good point because i think a lot of movies from this time love this idea of incorporating some sort of mouse trap level contraption in a big house <laughs> <laughs> this just pops up in a lot of our favorite 90s movies yeah oh rube goldberg that's what i'm thinking of but yeah same thing And do you think this movie should have been a career killer for anyone involved? I don't think so. It's crazy even watching this and realizing that Christopher Lloyd is Uncle Fester. I think Joan is just chef's kiss here. She's great. Everyone from Angelica Houston to Raul Julia and all of the supporting actors, really. It's just a fun movie that doesn't need to make sense and it's not really trying to. But I wouldn't say that anyone was bad in it do you agree yeah i agree i think everyone's just having fun it's kind of an early iteration of a comic book movie in a way because these characters are technically from a new yorker comic strip so in that way i think it's just it's similar to today where a lot of actors just they sign on to specific projects just to have a little bit of fun and to do something different and I like how much talent is actually attached to this. It's kind of similar to how Barbie is this year, right? Like you have a lot of Oscar nominees attached to not just the roles, but to the like below the line Mm -hmm. talent too. So yeah, I don't know. I think it's fun. I don't think it should have been a career killer. So would you willingly rewatch this movie? Yeah. It's not one that's going to be like a yearly staple for me, but I had a lot of fun returning to it, and I would I would watch it again. What about you? I agree. Kind of like my red-eye response on the last episode. Like, I'm not going to choose to watch this, but maybe in 20 more years, when I think back to it, 
and be like, oh, what do I want to watch from when I was growing up? Like, I'll throw it on, sure. And what about the legacy of this movie? Do you think it's aged poorly, gotten better with time, become a cult classic? I think it's kind of become a cult classic. I wouldn't say it's aged poorly. Again, there are things in it that have, but I think returning to this family that we know so well, again, the Wednesday TV show, I mean, the world of IP and returning to it anyway, there are characteristics about this family that people want to return to. And I think it's easy to build on this world with these characters that you know so well, even just by a simple image of them. So again, I haven't really seen much about it, but I could totally see this being some like midnight screening in a theater and a lot of people wanting to go see it. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think it's because there are so many campy moments in it too. And anytime you have that in a film, people have a fondness for it or an attachment and they want to rewatch it or put it in their regular rotation. And I think it's primarily because of People like Joan Cusack and Angelica Houston and Christine Baranski, Christina Ricci, I mean, all of them really are Mm -hmm. just so great in the movie that they make it fun to watch and something that, yeah, there are parts that might be a little dated, but I don't think it's aged poorly at all. And then if you could give this movie one Oscar, what would it be? I would give Joan Cusack Best Supporting Actress. She actually is my winner overall for 1993 in this category so even up against like Anna Paquin for the piano I would vote for Joan Cusack I think it is a tour de force comedic performance and that should be recognized more often wow big words well I think I would leave my Oscar for her for working girl I know I didn't award Gina Davis that year but (laughs) I did really like her in that performance, too. She's definitely giving a similar vibe there. Not as much as she turns it up here, but I'm going to give it to Christina Ricci for supporting actress. Also should have been nominated that year. I think you could make a case for nominating both of them. Mm -hmm. Harder to do as a child actress, but again, there's a great physicality to her. She really understands this character that I don't necessarily think we had to bring back with Jenna Ortega, but I understand the similarities there. But I just, whenever I think of Wednesday, I think of Christina Ricci. Me too. So that was a preview of our After Dark series. To listen to the rest of the episode and hear a review of Mrs. Doubtfire, you can go to patreon.com slash Oscar Wilde. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.